Well, in March 2016, when we launched this church, we also launched a sermon series. That sermon series was called Luke for Everyone. Thank you. You weren't here then, were you? No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no. Actually, you were, you were here online listening right from the beginning. That's true. <laughs> we knew, though, when we did that, that exploring the life of Jesus through the historical account of Luke was going to be a major undertaking. We knew that if we were going to get through it and we weren't going to rush through it, we really wanted to like embrace it and really work through it and understand and uh, so we've highlighted along the way that this, this account of any account is, is just perfect for us because it was written for people just like us. It was written to an outsider audience, to uh, of compiled eyewitness accounts. Luke is this doctor who went around and he talked to everyone and he put together this account of the life of Jesus. And because of his personality and who he is, he definitely did it in a very orderly way that benefits us. That's really awesome. And so we love it. It's great. And it examines the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's written for skeptics and for followers. And it's written for the good and the bad and for believers and for doubters. It's really this beautiful message that we are all welcomed into the kingdom of God. So here we are. It's, it's like winter or you spring, depending on how you perceive the coming of February. I don't know about you. Maybe you're all jumping to spring already. That's okay. So we'll say spring 2019. We're ready for the final push. So here it is. We, we, we're in chapter 19, and over the next three months until Easter, we are going to be walking with Jesus as he makes his way into Jerusalem. And this, the week before his death, is packed full. It's jammed with, with parables and teaching and conflict and moments that we want to explore. I mean, trust me, if you haven't read it, you would want to explore it. It's, it's incredible. And then the Passion Week approaches in our church calendar, and we're going to be walking through the crucifixion and then the resurrection of Jesus. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. So we pick up chapter 19. Jesus is nearing toward the end of his ministry, and he's been bebopping around Galilee and Judea, and he's kind of been all over and the last three years, and he's gotten himself famous because he's been doing all these miracles and healing and crazy stuff. Everyone says it's crazy, crazy stuff. And people are talking as Jesus raises the dead and as he sets free those who are oppressed and, and he calls sinners to come and follow him. And as he does all that, he's provoking a lot of religious people. They're angry and they don't like it and they don't like the things he says and the things he does. And part of it's that he laughs a lot and he goes to too many parties. This is like what people say about him, that um, you know, he's not a good and somber rabbi in this way. And he tells these wild and crazy stories about and teaches about Yahweh and the kingdom of God in a way that no one has ever heard before. Like it's shocking to them when they hear him teach and the way he talks. Now he also talks a fair bit about the end of the world and I think maybe a potentially unhealthy obsession with references to his own death. I mean, I would think that if I was his disciple. I'd be like, okay, Jesus, like, whoa, what's wrong with the death thing again? Because he keeps bringing it up. But that's Jesus, and we'll talk more about that too. So today we're in chapter 19. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 19. It's kind of in the back half in the New Testament, right after Matthew. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles at the back. And if you want to grab one on your way over here, you forgot it, 
or if you don't have an app, it on your app, which is what I do when I forget my Bible. I just pull out my phone like I meant to do that, and I just look it up on my app. So you could do that too. It's awesome if you can read along. As we work through Luke, I'd encourage you to bring your Bible because that's, that's what we're working through. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. Um, so Jesus is, he's just been at the story of, of Zacchaeus. That's where we ended. And so this is where we pick up in chapter uh, 19, verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country and received for himself a kingdom and then returned. To receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. And then another came, saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. That's how people like that talk. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, oh, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. What a great ending <laughs> for this story. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks a lot. Why did you have to do that? Ooh, just makes it awesome, doesn't it? It's so good. It's so good. This is why we preach through the Bible, because we might skip over certain parts that we don't want to address, wouldn't we? Maybe. I might. So here we are. The parable of the ten minus. And our big idea, the, the, the point that I'm hoping that you take home with you today, if you take home anything, is that until Jesus returns, we should be about his kingdom business. Until Jesus returns, we should be about his kingdom business. So for many years, uh, I told my kids made-up stories before bed. We'd read stories, and then as I'm putting them into their bed, they'd be like, tell me a made-up story, Dad. And I'd be like, okay. And so I'd just make up stories. And the easiest way to make up a story is if I make up a story about a character who's a lot like the children of the story I'm telling, and they're doing crazy and outlandish things, things I hope my children will never do. And often I would use these story times to prepare my children for events that are to come. Like maybe they're going to go to the doctor, and so I tell a story about little 
schnoogie boogie who goes to the doctor and shoots the doctor with his own shot and goes crazy, you know, and it's crazy in the doctor's office. It's really funny and crazy. And the kids are like, oh, okay. And, you know, a little bit of helps prepare them for going to the doctor. <laughs> and doing, not, okay, it's kind of weird. Okay, I agree. I agree. I'm kind of weird. But they're like my mini parables. I kind of see them that way. Like, I can prepare. I'll prepare you for Christmas. I'll prepare you for family reunion. I'll prepare you for this big thing in life or this small thing in life, whatever it is. It's like we can do a story about it, and maybe it's these two sisters, and they go do it, or these two brothers, or this little princess Maddie, or whatever, right? So why do I do that? Why do we like that? It's because we like a good story, don't we? We like a good story, and we remember the story because, you know, that's what we're like. And we all need preparation, most of us, for what's coming. We, we like to be a little bit prepared for the things that are coming down the pipe at us. And for some reason, it seems like we can handle it if it's in a story about someone who's not us, but who's a lot like us. That's somehow easier. And it would be nice, I think, if Jesus' parables were like my bedtime stories. Just saying. Just want to put it out there. It would be nice. You know, Jesus' stories, although they're simple and memorable, they're sometimes hard to understand. Just saying. They're not always as simple as, like, my bedtime stories would be to, like, you know, apply the principle. And parables were hard to understand for people in Jesus' day. His disciples, different people came and they were perplexed. They heard the story. Some of his disciples will pull him aside at different points and say, Jesus, can you explain what that one meant? I, I, so, you know, we, prepa- we pretended we understood, but like, can you tell us what that meant? We don't have any, what are you talking about? And I think if it's hard for people in Jesus' culture, and it's hard for people who knew Jesus, who were around Jesus, who were there when he said it, if it's hard for them, it's going to be hard for us too. It's just bound to be. Finally, the disciples, they ask him, they say, why do you talk like this? Why do you talk in stories that are weird and hard to understand? And Jesus says this, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. To which I say, thanks a lot. That makes it really clear. Right, okay? (laughs) The point, though, here is what Jesus is saying is like, I'm going to give you secrets to the kingdom, but they're going to take some digging. It's not just there on the surface. You're going to have to dig a little bit, mine a little bit. And maybe it's going to take some time before you totally understand what I'm saying. See, parables were often for the things we don't want to hear. Do you know who used parables in the Old Testament? It was the prophets. The prophets who came and spoke messages people didn't want to hear. The prophet would get up and be like, hey, repent, or, you know, this enemy's going to come. And they'd like throw rocks at them and throw them into pits and like kill them. So like you didn't want to be a prophet. But so the prophets, they would, they would get this picture and they would share the picture. Hey, this is what God is saying. People would be like, huh? Be like, okay, it bought me some time. You know, or Nathan comes to King David and he's confronting him about his secret sin and behavior. And Nathan does it in a parable. That's how he confronts him. So often it's things that we have a hard time with. And Jesus speaks a lot in parables. He uses a lot of parables. So why does he tell this parable? Thankfully, Luke tells us. 
Luke, who went and talked to people, he heard the stories, he wrote everything down, and he had t- so do you know why Jesus told And someone at some point said, explain to Luke. Yeah, this is why Jesus told And Luke writes it for us, so we don't have to wonder, why did Jesus tell this one? Verse 11, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. See, they're all on their way to Jerusalem. All the disciples in the crowds, they've been making their way to Jerusalem. I picture it's a little bit like a road trip, not where you're like, two days down, two days back, 24-hour drive, yes. No one's going to the bathroom. Not one of those, but one of those where you're like, we're going across Canada, and we're going to spend six months doing it. We're going to visit every little town along the way. You know, we're going to see the country. That's more what it's like. So Jesus and, you know, they're making their way to Jerusalem, but like they're stopping places and they're meeting people and they're, they're dealing with things and Jesus is preaching and there's crowds and then he heals people and then they move on a little bit more to the next place. So they're in Jericho. They're really close now. Okay. So this is their, this is their trip. And the tension is high because everyone can feel it. We're getting close. The excitement is palatable. People have been healed. The crowds are coming. Jesus is well known. He's got this notoriety too. There's people who are like, oh, I don't, we don't like Jesus. Well, we love Jesus. Oh, we don't like Jesus. You know, there's all this stuff happening. And Jerusalem's coming and the revolution. That's what they believed. When we get to Jerusalem, the kingdom's going to come and Jesus will be crowned king. And all of this will be worth something when the kingdom comes in power and Rome is overthrown. So then Jesus tells this story about a nobleman who goes away before the kingdom can come in, in power. Now I'm thinking they don't totally understand this because the next story is the triumphal entry where they're all shouting, Hail the king! Hail the king! Right? And we can talk about that next week. Now there's real life characters in these stories. Jesus didn't, he wasn't, preparing sermons the way I prepare sermons. So I go off and I, I read the Bible and I study it and I look in different translations and I go back and I, and I study commentary and I prepare something and I pray and I, and I agonize over it. Agonize. No, I'm just kidding. And I'm, I'm preparing and I, and I create this document and then I practice it and I go through it and then I give you that sermon. That's what my sermon is like. Jesus didn't do that. He's not going off preparing you know, for 20 hours or 24 hours a week or whatever, a sermon, and then he gives this sermon, and he's like, oh, wow, now I have to do it again? Oh, wow. Jesus isn't doing that. Jesus is talking, which is what's so amazing. They're walking by the field, and Jesus is like, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like a field, like this field. It's like a sower. See that guy? He's sowing seed. It's like this. Hey, it's like this tree. The disciples come, and they're like, hey, we forgot the bread. Jesus is like, I'm the bread of life. You know, we quote these things, they're happening in the moment, right? This is how it is. Or a question about, I have a question about neighbors. Jesus is like, I have a story about neighbors. Let me tell you what a good neighbor is. He just makes up the story. This is how it was. So today, Zacche- they're at Zacchaeus's house. This is where they've been. Maybe you remember Zacchaeus. He was the, the tax collector who skimmed a lot off the top. So, you know, he's very wealthy. I imagine his house is a bit more like a mansion than it is like just a little house, right? And there's, you know, private areas and public areas in houses. And so I imagine they're out in the terrace or this big area, you know, where the public is also there. There's crowds there. And I imagine it's in a more, this is Jericho, by the way, in the time of Jesus. There's the little uh, info stop there. It's amazing how they get these pictures too. Um, 
Anyway, so <laughs> I imagine Zacchaeus lives in the more, if, if there was a more Roman part of town, that's where Zacchaeus would want to live, you know, where his neighbors were not too judgy. And, uh, you know, it was well known that in Jericho, that's where, that's where people went to summer, right? It was like, it's a nice place. And, uh, and so the kings would build palaces there. And that would, that would be one of the places they had palaces. Now, I imagine as they're sitting on the terrace or they're sitting in this building and they're looking out over other houses and buildings, they might see the palace of a king who built his palace there. And so you should know something that they all knew when they heard this story. Would you like to know what they all knew when they heard this story? Here it is. Rome conferred the kingship on kings. If you wanted to be a king in the Roman Empire, which was allowed, they had kings, obviously. King Herod was the king. So if you wanted to be the king in the Roman Empire, you didn't just say, I'm the king now. You had to go to Rome to have your kingship conferred on you, your kingdom conferred. The emperor would say, yes, you're the king now. And then you'd go back to your country or wherever it was, and then you would take up that kingdom. That's how it worked. So you have this picture of people going away to get their kingdom conferred, and then they'd be coming back. People like Herod the Great. He named himself that. So you can tell where his modesty level was. Herod the Great, he went to Rome in 40 B.C., and presented himself to the Caesar, to Mark Antony, and his sons would later go to Rome as well and have their kingdoms conferred. So Herod dies in 4 BC, and the kings divided his will. You know, he writes in his will, I want my kingdom to be divided between my sons. And so immediately upon his death, they read the will, and the sons take up their kingdoms, these different areas. Now, before their kingdom is established, they have to go to Rome and have it conferred. Now, one of the sons is named Archelaus. Archelaus. And uh, he'd already built a palace in Jericho, so who knows, but he's got a palace there. And in the end, he ruled about 10 years, um, and he was done before Jesus told the story. So Archelaus, this is a story that happened before Jesus tells his parable. This is the story of Archelaus. Archelaus. He is one of the sons of Herod. He gets the kingdom, and then he goes to Rome to have his kingdom conferred. However, everyone knows this guy. He's a total tyrant. Brutal. And so they hate him. His citizens hate him. And they send a delegation after him to Rome. And the citizens go to Rome and they appeal to Caesar. They say, we don't want this man as our king. This happened. Caesar compromises and he decides well, I want someone there. So he says, you can, to Archelaus, he says, you can be the, the ethnarch, which is like a king with no title. So you do all the king things, but you're not a king. And so Caesar says, you'll be the ethnarch over Judea, over this area, until you earn the favor of the people, and then you could be the king. So Archelaus goes back, and at the first Passover, he kills 3,000 Jews. That's how he deals with opposition. Great way to earn the favor of your people. True story. So um, his reign was poor and despotic, as you can imagine, and Rome replaced him after 10 years with a series of 
procurators, of whom Pilate is the fifth. This is the story as they sit there. So picture, it'd be like if I started telling you a parable and I, was, I said, you know, once there was a president who wanted to build a wall and people, <laughs> you would laugh. Even if you didn't know what, my, what the point of my story was, you didn't know where I was going with the story, you would laugh because you, right away you connected with it, right? That's what Jesus is doing right now. That's what Jesus is doing right now. And so when he tells this story, that's what they hear. A nobleman goes away to have his kingdom conferred. <laughs> Everyone laughs. Oh, yeah, we know this story. Yeah, but before he goes, he sits down his servants and he gives them each $30,000. That's about what a, a mina is worth. And he instructs them to keep doing his business while he's away. And the citizens, Jesus will say, the citizens hated him. And so they sent a delegation after him. <laughs> they could have laughed at that too. I mean, that's like funny. Oh, yeah, we know that. Yeah, we know we did that. Yeah, we were the guy. We sent those people. That's so funny. Okay, what's the point of your story, Jesus? The king returns, but he's a king. And he gets everyone together to see how things have gone. And one servant multiplied his capital tenfold. One multiplied it fivefold. And both are put in charge of the king's business, which is ruling cities. That's what a new king does. He rules cities. But one servant hadn't done anything. I mean, nothing. Like he took his money and put it in a hanky and put the hanky with the dog bones. Buried it. And when the king comes back, he blames his ineptitude on the king. It's your fault. You're so harsh and severe and rigid. It's your fault that I couldn't do anything. And of course, the king is angry, insulted. And so he takes away that money and gives it to the servant who already has a lot. Which surprises everyone because they're like, that guy has a lot already. And the king doesn't care because he's giving good managers promotions and feeling generous with his faithful servants. And then a king would also deal with the riffraff and put the rebellion to bed. That's what kings do. That's the story. Now, it's easy to get confused. Really easy, because there's another story, almost just like this story, called the parable of the talents. It's told in a different place. It's very similar, and often people get them confused or think they're the same story. But they're not the same story. They're told in different places, at different times, and for different reasons. In Jerusalem, during Passion Week, the other story gets told. Now, remember, Jesus reuses and changes stories. He might later be like, oh, yeah, that was a good story. Yeah, if I just tweak it like this, boop, and he can tell a story a little bit differently, which is why sometimes there's different versions of a story, because Jesus isn't telling a story one time ever. He says it over and over and over. That's how they can remember all this. Now, this story is not about using your talents or your money for the kingdom, and it's not about how God is a hard or severe taskmaster with high expectations. It's this, this one question. Until Jesus returns, will you be about his business? Until Jesus returns, will you be about his business? So there's three groups of people in the story. There's servants who are doing the master's business, and there's servants who are not doing the master's business. And then there's also citizens who refuse to submit to the rightful king. Those are the three groups of people. In this story, 
we would fall under one of these categories. Servants who are doing the work of the master, servants who are not doing the work of the master, and citizens who oppose the rule of the king. Now, the king gives a commission to his servants. This is what he does. He says this, engage in business until I come back. That's what he says to his servants. Or in the NIV, it's put this money to work. Or in the New American Standard, do business with this until I come back. This picture. Now, the word is pragmatuamai. Pragmatuamai. Aren't you impressed I could say that? You should be. That's like, this was my impressive moment. Pragmatuamai. And this is what it means. It's a Greek word. It means to busy oneself. This is what the king says. He says, busy yourself. Be occupied. Carry on business while I'm gone. That's the, that's the commission. So then my question was, well, what's God's business? What's God's business that he would want for us to continue to work on and to do? Now, picture this. The disciples, they're still sitting. Like, they don't necessarily move. I mean, there's some commentators that say, oh, this is on the road to Jerusalem. Like, I, it doesn't say that. It says the next minute after this moment with Zacchaeus where Zacchaeus stands up in front of everyone and he says, I'm changed, I'm going to give all my money to the poor. And people are like, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus says, you know, today salvation's come to this house. It's this beautiful, powerful moment. And people were questioning the mission when this moment happens in Zacchaeus' house. They're all sitting around. This is what they say. They grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So there's all these people around, and this is what they're saying. We can't believe he went in there and sitting at the table with Zacchaeus. This is what Jesus responds in verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God is in the business of people transformation. People transformation, redemption, and rescue. We're either representing the king in his interests, or we're not. So the other question I had is, what does God give us that's all the same? Because in this story, it's one mina. Everyone gets the same. Everyone gets one mina. So my question is, what does God give us that's the same to do his business with? What, what's he giving us to do the business of rescue and redemption, to be ambassadors of reconciliation? What has he given us? And one of the things I thought of is grace. He's given us all his grace. If we are called servants of God, then in some measure, in some way, we have received, experienced the grace of God, which is that, you know, it's the undeserved welcome. We didn't deserve it. We didn't like, you know, this isn't a, a, a thing we merited. It's a thing God gave, the gift. It's his empowering presence in our lives to do his work. We ask and he gives. That's his grace. I thought of another thing that God gives each of us that's the same, and that would be his spirit. He gives us his spirit. If we're called Christians, we, we all, on, on some level, are filled with his spirit. Paul says, if you're a Christian, you have his spirit in you. That's how it works. That's who's doing the leading and the soul care and the transformation and the fruit-bearing work in our lives is the spirit. We ask and God gives. He's a good father. He says, ask for the spirit and I'll give them to you. 
So God has given us his saving and empowering grace and his indwelling spirit for us to live in this world and to be about the kingdom business. So the choice we have is whether we're going to get busy with this business or wrap our hankies, tie it twice. So what's the takeaway? There's a story of a pastor who, in their church, before they release the kids, they would do a kid's story. And so the pastor, this one week, he thought of this story. He was going to do a about responsibility, and he had a picture of a squirrel. And so he thought, oh, I'll do this. I'll, I'll do a story of uh, a guessing game with the kids. And so he called them all up, and they're all sitting around. And so he says, okay, you guys, you need to guess what's on my picture. This is what the story's about today. So uh, I'm going to give you some hints, and you tell me what you think it is. Okay, so he says, the thing I have, the picture I have is, is gray, and it has a big bushy tail. And the kids just, like, stare at him. They're all silent. And so he's like, okay, uh, this thing has has little buck teeth, and it really likes to eat acorns. And the kids are like, just, just confused, right? And so then he's like, okay, it's small, and it likes to climb trees, right? And still nothing. I mean, just blank. So then he says, well, does nobody want to guess? You guys, I, I've given you all the hints you need here. Like, I really think you could do it. And finally, one girl's like, um... He's like, oh, relieved. Finally, okay, this was like a bomb. Okay, wh- what do you think I have here on this picture? And the little girl says, well, um, Pastor, I know it's supposed to be Jesus, but it sounds an awful lot like a squirrel. <laughs> Isn't that how it is? Like, the answer is always Jesus. We have this parable. And it sounds like an awful lot like a motivational fear speech, right? Like to get us to work harder. It kind of feels like that a little bit. Like the guy who's weak gets a tongue lashing and his stuff taken away. The citizens get beheaded. I mean, it's, this, is a, this is a hard story. Be productive. Make sure you're making more minas. Come on, people. Minas, minas, minas. Right? It sounds like a squirrel. But the answer is always Jesus. Just to help you with that. She did get it right. Jesus tells us that the faithful servants are taking the master's resources and they're multiplying it. That's what they're doing. They're taking, they say repeatedly, your mina. I took your mina and this is what happened. See, they all get the same amount. They don't get different amounts. That's a different story where they get different amounts and they make different. This one, they all get the same thing. They're just, they're given the, everyone gets a mina. It's not a wage for good work. It's not a reward. It's just, there's your mina. Do something with it. It's a gift. And they're also not compared to each other. I mean, they get, there's different outcomes, but they're not compared. The guy who did five didn't get like, oh, that's a disappointment. Well, Billy earned 10. Not as good as Billy, huh? Oh, well, I hadn't met Sam over here. He really sucks. So you're better than him. Like, there's, they're not comparing. It just, it's like the reward is different, but that's the deal. It is what it, you, you did what you did. And the reward is, it's about more business. The immediate reward is that they are given authority in the new business. And the king's new business is cities and people and ruling and governing. 
And the reward is connected to action. It's like you were active in, you know, the 10. It's like, okay, well, then you can govern 10 cities. And you were active with the five, and you, so you govern five cities. And you were not active at all. There was zero. Okay, well, zero. It all, you know, factors out. But the faithful servants, this is what you need to hear. The faithful servants are not the big earners. That's not the point. The, the faithful are the big kingdom multipliers. They're multiplying kingdom resources. And they make the king look good when he returns. They represent his interests well. They invest his love and grace in a world that's desperate for this kind of capital. They're taking kingdom investment and they're using it in the world to multiply it. Now, what about, I I like to call him the hapless hanky guy. What about that guy? We always feel bad for the underdog. He feels like a bit of an underdog um, to me too. Do you want to click to the next slide, Josiah? There he is. See him at the back? They make him scraggly. You know, the other guys, they're like, look like angels. And then there's like the scraggly old wrinkly man who's angry. Right? Is that how they make him look? It's like pretty sad for that guy, right? Don't you feel for that guy? Like the king calls him wicked servant. Or in the New American Standard, worthless slave. Like, oh, thanks. Wow. This, the, the word for wicked or worthless here is paneras. Paneras. It means evil. Wicked, wicked one, hurtful, evil in effect or influence, diseased, like your body is diseased, but especially morally culpable, derelict, vicious, mischief, malice, guilt, bad, grievous, harm, lewd, malicious, wicked. Like, wow, that's not a nice word, is it? In Matthew twelve thirty-five, it's like, The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil paneras person out of his paneras treasure brings forth paneras. Like evil. Oh, it's so nasty. Like on balance, if you really look at this, like if you translate this word as worthless, that's kind of a nice rendering of this word, I think, after you look at all the meanings of it. I mean, worthless, that's pretty nice, considering what we could have said, which was wicked's one of those. Why is this servant wicked? Why does he get this word paneras? It just doesn't seem right. Here's the deal. The master gives out minus and tells everyone to keep his business going. Advance the business. And instead, this guy takes his mina and he buries it in the ground. And he just does nothing. Nothing. No business. Nothing. And then he blames the master. The master comes back and he says, it's your fault I couldn't do anything. It's your fault I did nothing because you're so harsh and severe or rigid. These are the words. My question is, what were you doing all this time? So these other guys, they're out, they're like taking the stuff, they're trying to move the minas. They got some more, they try to move those minas. They're advancing the kingdom. What's this guy doing? He's got a mina, and then he puts it in the ground, and what, what does he do? Nothing? Nothing. God isn't giving us the gift of his grace and his spirit for us to bury it in a hanky, a church hanky, or any other hanky. 
for us to say to him, we barely survived. We were afraid of you. And so we held back your grace and your mercy and your love and your spirit from the world. Like what an insult to grace. What an insult to the spirit. Show mercy. Live love. Proclaim good news. Be an ambassador for reconciliation. And then we come to the end of the story, which we should just skip over, shouldn't we? It ends with a reckoning. It ends with a reckoning, and there's no way around it. It ends with a reckoning. Different commentators, they'll, they'll give different expressions, different ways they understand this. One of the ways is that uh, it, Jesus is referencing the destruction of Jerusalem, which is coming. You know, in AD 69, the 10th legion, Roman legion, marches down the very road between Jericho and Jerusalem and lays siege to Jer- Jerusalem. This is coming. So they say, maybe it's about that. Other people say, well, maybe it's about the final judgment. You know, citizens of the world who reject the kingship of Jesus, you're out. That's it. You know, we don't like these endings. (laughs) We don't, but they didn't have a problem with it. Just to help you put it in perspective. The people listening to Jesus weren't weirded out by this ending. In fact, to them... They understood no king would ignore insurrection. No king would do that. No king would ignore his enemies and expect to have a kingdom. Of course, no king would give his life for those enemies either. It's hard to imagine Jesus is being vindictive here. You know, he's like, yeah, and you enemies, you guys over there, You're going to get yours. As soon as the king comes back, that's me. I'm going to slay you. Yeah, slay you. It's hard to imagine he's doing that when he just said, I came to seek and save the lost. He's there with Zacchaeus preaching this message. It's also hard to imagine that when we picture him in a few chapters, shouting over the voices of his mockers, half dead on the cross. Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. I do know that the next little part is a Hosanna. And we will cry with them, Hosanna. We want a true king. Not a king like Archelaus, uh, an ethnarch. We want a real king. A king who will rule in mercy and justice. And whose throne will endure forever. Until Jesus returns, we should be about his kingdom business. I know, I agree, these stories are notoriously hard to understand, and everyone's interpreting them. I am, you are, we all are, commentators, everyone. And Jesus takes these everyday things, and he, he, he puts them in a casing that requires us to dig, to look in the depths of our hearts and ask what Jesus is saying. And as Jesus prepares to go away, he's asking his disciples and us to be about his business until he returns. And we'll have to choose a response. We could say, yes, I will. Take what you've given me and go and invest it in the world to see your kingdom come in power. Or we could say, no, 
for whatever reason. No, I'm going I'm to just bury it here. Live in fear. Or you could say, you're not my king. I will not be ruled by you. You have a choice. But God gave us his spirit and his power to empower us to be about his business in this world. There's no reason why we should not be about the business of rescue and redemption. And so we won't hide his mercy and his love or withhold the good news of reconciliation, that God has come to be reconciled. And there will be a reckoning one day. But when it comes, it will be the true and rightful king, a king who rules in justice and mercy. Hosanna, Jesus. We wait your return.